Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And I'm the man that breaks into his house, watches him while asleep in a very romantic fashion, Duncan Nickel. Hi Duncan. Wow, that's so romantic of you. In this episode, Duncan, I'm dragging you back into the world of YA literature. Oh, it's been one hell of a journey. It's mm-hmm. You say back, I never really went through this world before. This is all quite new to me. That being said, you know, I Strange the Dreamer, I, I believe is YA. And so now that you've been pulled through that door, we're now comparing it to something a little bit more mainstream. Oh, I've never felt more quirky and indie in my tastes. Um, oh, God. So, so we keep kind of joking around it, but today we're doing Twilight People. And there's so mm-hmm. much baggage that comes on with this book that's not actually related to the text that's of true. it. The cultural impact of both the book right. and the films that it inspired and the... I was doing meme culture back then. Were we predating memes? Internet buzz? School art. Memes are, are are a really important part of the blowback against Twilight. You know, you had people who had very inf- strong opinions on um, the importance of and the damage done by Twilight, based exclusively around memes comparing uh, Bella Swan and Katniss Everdeen. Ooh. Hunger Games. Now that I do like. Um, but, but before we kind of get to that, Geordie, this was your pick. Could you just explain again to me and to the audience why mm-hmm. this is your pick? What made you want to revisit this book? Right. So I believe this was a revisit for you, whereas this mm. was the first time for me. It was. Yeah, um, I explained my rationale at the end of our previous episode, but if you haven't listened to that one yet, if you're coming here because you really want to hear what we have to say about this book... The reason why I chose to to examine this book, which I haven't read since I was 14 and and it's not a series I was ever that invested in, is that I'm a big fan of YA literature, um, specifically, specifically YA fantasy literature. And the YA fantasy genre is is really dominated by female readers and female authors. They are catering to a very specific taste. There's even a certain demographics who would say that the majority of people who read YA are middle-aged women. And as a result of that, a lot of criticisms which are levied at the genre as a whole, I believe, come down to misogyny, first and foremost. The, um, the dismissal that any of these books have any real value is often quite tied to its association to women's interests. Because women like it, it's therefore worthy of mockery. So in order to confront that, I have chosen to go back to sort of the um, the seed of it all. Um, the Probably the most lambasted series, uh, book series, that I can really think of or which at least has been so lambasted, not really because of the quality of its writing, but purely because of its popularity. I think you've hit quite a nail on the head there, especially for me. Um, 
I think I'm just going to go in and kind of tell everyone out my thoughts as a new reader reading this. Bear in mind, you know, it's 2022. I'm a 26-year-old man. My main response when I read Twilight, bear in mind, growing up with the films, all of the culture, the buzz, people kind of mocking this book, was that I honestly just went, is this it? It's almost... It, firstly, it is. It seemed to me undeserving of the level of mockery it got. I'd also be honest and say, don't get quite mm-hmm. what got the praise and the popularity it got. It was just okay. Okay, cool. That was the book. the The shadow, the cultural shadow, seemed to far outstretch what I was reading in the text. Uh, bear in mind, we're only talking about the first book, Twilight. Um, I don't know anything about the rest of the series. I don't know where. The, I don't really know where the story even goes. Um, I've read the first book and the last book. I skipped the middle and went straight to the end. I I found out yesterday, um, Duncan, that the entire series of Twilight, and this might not mean a great deal to you, but it was actually very shocking to me. The entire series takes place over 18 months. I believe this... A lot happens in that 18 months, man. It's a busy, busy time. Bella Swan. I believe this book, uh, as I read it, because I believe we're coming in, it's like summer term and there's a dance at the end. So this is one school term. So three months? Less? T- Duncan, what's a, what's a term? Sorry. What? Semesters, man. You know, Semesters. That was one of the most jarring thing for me uh, as an English reader. More than the vampires, mm-hmm. getting my head around the Americans <laughs> of this book. Was so yeah, man. This is our first book set in America. Hey, you're right. Ah, oh, go for yeah. representation. Yeah, exactly. But look at us having, uh, having enjoying the diversity of fantasy. So, Jordy, when you were rereading it, you know, the last fortnight, could you kind of like I've said my piece, and that was mostly kind of a flat line. Mm-hmm. I will go into so much more detail because it's not a flat line. Yeah. It averaged to a flat line. There were some ups mm-hmm. and some downs. How? Tell me this, okay. this last one. As you were rereading it, how did your feelings towards this book kind of fluctuate between starting it and finishing it? Sure. Yeah. So as I'm going through the book, as I begin reading the book, um, I a feeling of dread started to emerge in me. Because as I'm going through it and as I'm reading it, I start to go, oh... Some of these criticisms are very legitimate. Um, Particularly, I feel like the writing itself, as in specifically the prose, is very, as you say, it's very average. It does not, it doesn't make any big swings. It, um, it's, it's, it's quite pedestrian in its own way. The, The language isn't that flowery or descriptive. It's quite plod 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 and um so when i was reading that i that was that was that made me worried that i wasn't going to have a lot of positive things to say about this when i'm deliberately stepping up to give this book as fair a shake as possible and that sounds quite quite negative was there any moments you you came back and you go oh this is why i liked it first time round and so um, I so I had this interesting feeling going through the book, which is that I tended to... It's, it's, it's so paradoxical that 
the bits I enjoyed kind of surprised me, which was that I really liked... Obviously, I'm, I don't think we even need to describe what happened to this book to anyone. Even people who despise this book series, I think, know what it's about almost well, beat Let's just do a quick summary there, though, but, shall we? Yeah, this is about a young woman who yeah, moves sure, why not? to a town called Forks in a place in America that I do not know. Uh, a rainier place, and she came from a sunnier place. Um, and she starts off yes. not liking it. But then she meets a man who changes it all. A very beautiful, statuesque man who turns out to be a vampire. Mm -hmm. And complications ensue. That's about it. Yeah. Yep, you got it. And and if you know... And if you were going to pitch this book, as Stephanie Meyer must have done at some point, she would say that the drama in the story is that Bella and Edward, the vampire, are fall in love with one another. But the tension comes from the fact that he is a blood-sucking vampire and will always have to fight the temptation to eat her. And <laughs> that is a pa- I mean, that's a potent form of drama. You know, you're, you, you have your main character. One of your main characters literally is like fighting himself. Uh, his primal urge is not to destroy the other. It's a lot of sources for drama in that. So kudos. That is, um, man, I need to summon up, I need to summon up more energy. Okay, so. And yeah, that's a big source of... It's obviously a huge source of drama in a story like this. Uh, A big boundary to romance as well. My opinion on this book started to change, however. When, after he's getting through the pedestrian stuff, and the drama shifted away from mundane high school dramas, which I actually enjoyed more than I expected. Um, I don't read a lot of books set in high schools even though i enjoy say you know ya fiction if i'm reading like shadow hunters that's about teenagers but they're not in school like they almost exclusively take place like during the holidays at the least so that they can go out on out on the town and have their adventures it was very unusual for me to be in that school setting and i was like i'm surprised i'm enjoying this and, like, the catty interactions between people more than I expected. Duncan, opinion. Ooh, okay. It was okay. It was. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed elements of it. I liked the worldview of Bella, the main character, because I actually mm-hmm. felt her perception. She wasn't a particularly... Okay, this is really hard, because obviously... Bella's, uh, her her perspective in life, her view on the relationship around her, isn't something that I intimately have a lot of experience with. A lot of how she was sort of interacting with people, it's like, well, I never had those experiences, but I could at least see people I Mm -hmm. knew of at the time in Bella and in how she was interacting with her classmates Mm. and sort of the low-level kind of high school romance there. One thing that really did struck Mm -hmm. me, though, over this period, and this you know just a different life experience 
the type of relationships and the type of um, interactions that Bella was having, I was like, oh, I can I can relate to that. This is actually quite well represented, but not at seventeen. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay. Roll the clock back two, three years, fourteen, fifteen, and I find this much more palatable. These are fourteen and fifteen years having these mm. interactions. I kind of gel with, and I did come up with a theory, and my about this, and okay. I thought, well, maybe it's because Stephanie Myers is making a conscious decision to write these seventeen-year-olds, but for a more of a fourteen-year-old audience. And I'm not saying that's a, that's not a necessarily a, that's a criticism. I think if that was her intention, she did it very, very well, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, looking forward to when yeah, I'm growing up. That... Yes, that's what you like. I, I want to see you know. Four years time. It's very exciting to turn an adult when you're like 14. But they're making that adult mm. experience more relatable to that slightly younger child experience. And obviously... Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. That's just my visit. But through yeah. that lens, I... It sounds weird. I had to bring up that lens to then enjoy the plot more. But because I was enjoying it more, I don't mind viewing it mm. through that lens. So, good. That's... That's fair enough. You said you said yourself you find your entertainment wherever you can in a book. When um, Edward and Bella first interact, there's this. Uh, Edward immediately is throwing up these big "Don't look at me" walls, where he's acting incredibly silent and antagonistic towards her. And I was very surprised that I was much more compelled in the first half of the book by Edward when he was in his whole stay away from me, I have to keep away from you mode, as opposed to in the second quarter of the book when he's slowly warming to her. He was more compelling as a mysterious figure to me than he was as an initial romantic figure. What do you think? I feel like I'm really being interviewed on this one. Um, I think that I agree with you. And I think part of this is because mm-hmm. once Edward drops that, I need to stay away because to keep you safe, or at least we get that revealed to us and that mystique drops, he really yeah. quickly is absolutely besotting with Bella. And I always found that a bit anticlimactic. This, the romance in this story isn't the story of them like falling in love. By the time you get to know Edward as a character, he is in love with her. Like completely. And it yeah. almost was anticlimactic. I wanted them to like slowly grow closer. But it's like they're they're part they're part agree. and then bang, they're together and they're absolutely th- I agree, I Again. agree. She's uh, compl- she's says that she's in love with him in an in internal monologue very early in uh, the story. And um Sorry, I'm go ahead. I am jumping in here because I want to make this very clear. Again, not necessarily a criticism. If you're doing a young love story I'll be honest again, own it since. Mm-hmm. I get that. When you're 14, 15, 16, again, going back to that age, maybe 70, it's a messy. We all mm-hmm. it differently. I get that. I get that instant, oh, I'm in love with them. That They're my world. Completely, completely overwhelms you. Romeo and Juliet style. It's mm-hmm. not bad. But I was hoping, I think that's the point. I was hoping when I did this premise in the story, I was like, this is okay. But actually, I think there's a better story that could have been told with this premise, or at least not a better one. Uh-huh. See, I'm going to check my misogyny here. One that could have appealed to my taste more. But I was respecting the fact that these decisions sure. weren't made with essentially my reading habits in mind. And that mm-hmm. that was where I was kind of twisting on Edward. Because even though it was not bad, it was simply disappointing because it wasn't matching what 
I would, my expectations of what I would have wanted. But I could almost see, or at least I believe I could see, how Stephanie Myers was making decisions to a different target audience. It was actually weird. It was like I was this like third mm. person in this book. Like Stephanie Myers wasn't telling the story to me. She was telling it like across me to like a different person. And I was just watching the conversation happen like from the side. Like you, like you had gone to the theatre with someone and it was their idea to go. I guess I guess me. I guess she was telling a story to me and you were also there doing a podcast. Yeah, perfect. Beautiful kind of metaphor. <laughs> uh, so after, you know, we've had Edward's initial hostility, um, we, we get some, so there are some highlights in my experience of reading it. And, at, and as, as I've said, at first, my enjoyment of this book was sort of in the, I think it's sort of where you are at on the whole, Duncan, which is that I'm having an average reading experience. I, I'm not feeling a great deal of like, oh, yes, I can't wait to keep reading. And I probably would have taken longer to read it through if I didn't have to do it for a podcast. I think that's fair. I know I would have finished it. And there comes a point when my enjoyment of the book picks up a great deal. But until that point, would have been slowed down a lot. And I think the things that did excite me are things I also were like, I wish there was a little more of that. Like, there are moments in this book where I really liked the interactions between Bella and her dad. There are moments I'm like, that was a nice father-daughter scene and this happens both in humorous ways in the like over stereotypical overprotective dad i think when those are done sort of as jokes they land um there's a there's a one i actually laughed out loud at like a big guffaw when uh edward says when he thinks bella's planning on sneaking out his she says your dad um has reconnected the the cables to your car battery <laughs> so to keep her from leaving the house he like like dismantled part of her car uh i thought that was really funny um and there's a sweet bit where he like puts um snow treads on her uh, on her wheels without telling her and that was i was like oh that's really nice i would have loved more I moments those like moments that too those are little stand and then i laughed at this yeah. book as well <laughs> like probably not in all the sense that we're mm-hmm. meant to be, but at the very end of the book, uh, when Edward's in the hospital room and he's like pretending to be asleep, and there's a little moment where there's like, uh, don't forget to fake to breathe. It's like, that made me chuckle. And mm-hmm. there are moments where I laugh where maybe yeah. I wasn't meant to laugh. There's a bit where Bella, she's about to go out shopping with the gals, and she says she experiences an immense mm-hmm. estrogen rush. And <laughs> I was like, Okay, I had to stop. I had to laugh. I stopped. I had to turn to my partner. I'm like, darling, when you go out with your fellow lady friends to purchase items, do you experience a estrogen rush? Uh, she said no, but so it. I don't know. It got a chuckle out of me. Okay, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it for whatever reason. Um, the 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 moments which I also enjoyed were the moments when you start hinting at Edward's supernatural qualities, like the moment, and actually, you know the moment where Bella almost gets yeah. hit by a truck? I was really surprised that that's a well-written scene. Yeah, it does. It has genuine uh, sense of, not so much tension, but the 
the set of when Edward no. suddenly appears, you get the better shock and the yes. fact that lots of little things are happening. Like he's not just stopping the van; he's stopping the van. But he's also like moving yep. her out of the way, picking up slightly. It's it's a clever yes. little mechanism where you can see like not only is he super strong, it's not just a Superman moment of him like you know stopping the bus. He's mm-hmm. also thinking faster, reacting mm-hmm. faster. Yeah, absolutely. I really like and that the way he he doesn't just grab her and stop the car. Um, he moves in and because he's moving so fast, he barges into her and like knocks her down and she like bangs her head because like he can't just grab her. She'd break her neck. And it's obvious that Stephanie Meyer has sort of thought about like the kinetics of the scene. And that, like, Edward puts his hand up and he stops the car. But Edward keeps moving because he doesn't weigh three tons. So he, like, gets his shoulders banged up against the car next to him. And, like, leaves a dent in it. And I was like, that's, that's like, a lot of attention to detail. Oh, and I really okay, respected so what some that. Of the positives, then? Um, I really enjoyed the mm-hmm. sort of hints, and we get a lot more near the end of the book, of these, of their past. You know, the fact that they have been around for so time. And you get how um, his Edward's yeah. father figure, um, who I'm going to mess up the name. Is it Carlisle? Carlis? Carlisle. That's not even a weird fantasy name. I just can't pronounce okay. things. That's just Carlisle. a, yeah, that's just a um, name. How he's like built this family. And I love the fact that you know, how he uh, accrued them over the years. And the idea that when they turn, their like most predominant uh, sort of sensibility gets like magnified. Mm-hmm. And that, like, Esme, you know, she had this huge mothering mm-hmm. aspect to her. And she helped, like, gather around and look mm-hmm. after them. I love that. Yeah, that's another positive. I have a few. And then I want to get to negatives. Yeah. But. I, 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 and I'm glad that you have a strong positive being the Cullens as a group. Because the moment in this book, which everything really turns around for me, is when, like, the Cullen family becomes the focal point. I think, you know, them as a group are really entertaining to read about. Whether it's like, you know, like whether you're watching. So this is, so, and it, so here's the thing. I enjoyed the interactions between Bella's high school friends more than I expected. But Bella is a very introverted character. So she's always choosing to not spend time with them. And when she does spend time with them, she talks about them, but we don't get to see, like, them express themselves much. That's just not really how they're framed. I think it's pretty obvious that Stephanie Meyer is a lot more interested in her vampire characters than she is her human ones, for understandable reasons. shame there is there still potential in these sort of high school characters, which I don't, I think doesn't get fully realised. I do feel like she almost uses them as a juxtaposition to the vampire characters and i do think there's a bit of intentionally making them more boring or upping bella's disinterest mm-hmm. because bella at multiple point goes mm-hmm. in her internal voice oh i stopped listening so you don't get to learn that bit about them because yes. bella doesn't care about them because bella really cares mm-hmm. about the vampires because stephanie Mars wants you to really care about the vampires and it's an intention it's really intentional yeah. but I... it, she's intentionally making one group of characters boring so another seem more exciting Mm-hmm. I think that I think you're completely right. I think that is a, a very deliberate action she's taken, and I think it does the appropriate job of elevating the more interesting characters. You want to learn more 
about um about Jasper and um Emmett, oh man, Rosaline, Alice. Read my notes more care. Thank you. Well done. I've got the notes well written up. Right. I had I had my notes closed, but now I have it open. Yeah, they have a fun collection of weird characters and it and I think Edward as a character is improved in their presence. My opinions on Edward are like a roller coaster in this book because I like when he's nice and mysterious. But then after the van like crash, I dislike him a lot because he is um his interactions with Bella one on one uh, at that point of the story do not interest me i i'm not compelled oh. by him as a romantic hero he is um uh he he's so straightforward a slightly snarky pretty boy uh they're, they're a dime a dozen in um in ya fantasy and that's because of twilight like i've realized in reading this how many of the dark, slightly edgy boys whom I've read about in other fantasy works are just recreations of Edward Cullen. But I think most of them were done better. Okay. Now, I haven't read a lot of other YAs, so I can't comment on them. When it comes to Edward, I like him when he's dark and Mm -hmm. mysterious. I like at the very beginning, and he's standoffish. Has that age? I want to... It's a mystery. It's a mystery box. He's a mystery box. I would like to know the answers. Mm -hmm. I like him when he's interacting with other characters because I like his almost tongue-in-cheek um his play him when he's playing the normal high schooler and then like winking to the audience and bella that mm-hmm. he's actually a super vampire you know i find that funny yeah and he's reading their minds and like he can see That's through really everyone when he's just interacting with bella mm-hmm. he really does lean into he stops being as funny or it's a little there's a few like macabre jokes based around him like oh i might kill you ha <laughs> ha not too many but there's a few of them and it yeah. just falls into this perspective from Bella that he is, one, so beautiful, so beautiful, so so picturesque, so statuette. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how to describe this. The thing is, I've read books where there is the law, sword and sorcery. There's the beautiful woman, object of desire, function to the plot is mm-hmm. just as a thing for the uh, protagonist to achieve or get. Mm-hmm problem is though in those books there's often quite a big other plot going on here there isn't whereas this one is it's, it's a romance, it's a romance the focus. story and i don't find edward when he's interacting better that interesting because all i hear is firstly how good looking he is and i i know he's good looking but i need to hear mm-hmm. him be funny or be charming and to be honest when he's interacting with bella if he's anything he's overbearing <laughs> and a little bit controlling yeah, overbearing is is the word, and 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 a bit a bit rude at other times. Uh, I the real problem I have is the the limited ways in which Stephanie Meyer has of expressing Edward, especially that part of the book. And I've written in my notes, uh, Meyer invented the word chuckled, and then she cursed us with it. So I have a serious problem in the world of YA with chuckling. Duncan, what does a chuckle sound like? Well, anyone who's watched Chuckle Vision will know. <laughs> that <a> chuckle? <laughs> we, Duncan, we have oh, American sorry. listeners, please. It is a very small laugh, often slightly put on. Um, because a genuine mm-hmm. laugh is not attractive. A chuckle, slightly more reserved, 
sexy chuckle. Sexy. As anyone who's watched the Chuckle Brothers exactly. knows. Reserved is the key word. It's it's. Don't look it up, people. What? Um, it's. <laughs> Uh, it's the, the suave, the suave of uh, the Chuckle Brothers, yes. Um, yeah, Chuckle is is very appealing when you're writing this dark, brooding male romance hero because it lets your character laugh and therefore sort of be haughty without lowering himself by showing any vulnerability by actually, like, losing any kind of control. Um a chuckle is reserved. It's a, <laughs> yes, I have expressed laughter, but I've done it in the most reserved way possible. Uh, you don't, you can't, it's, it's, it's supposed to be dignified. A giggling wouldn't be dig- dignified. Guffawing wouldn't be dignified. Which means any time um, a female romantic protagonist does something where she doesn't understand this fantasy world she's, end up in, she's ended up in, you can have your male fantasy hero who's her romantic interest you can have him chuckle and that shows you that he's in control that he's suave and stuff like that but no one chuckles people don't chuckle like i've never heard an actual chuckle in my life duncan but it's everywhere in this book in particular but also all over the YA fantasy genre and i have it's a pet peeve but i can't really you're right, it's a tool, isn't it? It, it works as a literary tool to let you know the details about the character. And often I find it most effective when it's sort of in text, kind of fake, you know. You know, whenever you get introduced in a story to mm-hmm. the the, tom- the pompous rich man who lets out a chuckle as sure, something, absolutely. you know, slightly diabolical is about to mm-hmm. go on. That's where it falls into. Mm-hmm. A chuckle is good for laughing at someone. Which is why I also think it doesn't play well to me that she chuckles when Bella says something which where she doesn't understand something. Because it kind of looks like oh, he's looking God, down right, on her. Dance around this. I'm going to hit the bullseye. I need to hit the bullseye on this point. Because this is the biggest okay. point about this book. I did not like hate this book. I did not love this book. Mm-hmm. This book had lots of things that I quite liked. But this book had one, just one little thing mm-hmm. that it didn't do for me. And I really feel like it should have. Especially uh, if you compare it to the previous YA you got me to read. Geordie, um, Strange the Dreamer. Uh, people go back and listen to that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a romance in that. And in that, I was like, oh, the rest of the plot is getting away with the romance. Getting away with the romance. I didn't mm-hmm. like the romance. I didn't like it. I didn't care. I didn't w- want to. I knew they were going to be there. They were already together. I, and it drives conflict. And I'm interested in the conflict. But I don't. I didn't find myself enjoying. They didn't seem to be enjoying being together. And thus, I wasn't enjoying being with them, being together. Do you get me? And that sounds so weird to say about this. I, I know exactly why you're coming at it this way. And there were a lot of times in the book where I, where I felt the exact same way. And if a certain point in the book hadn't come along, I would have been, I would have been okay. on Team Jacob. Whole other conversation. I would have been. That I would have been have, swung that way. I've heard so much in sort of the zeitgeist about Team Jacob. Jacob has a very small part in this book. I can mm-hmm. discuss in a moment. But yeah, so what's the moment then where you suddenly said, because yes. I, reading this book, never found myself, one, really loving Bella or really loving Edward. Certainly not, if mm-hmm. they weren't, didn't get together at the end, I would not be, feel any pangs of emotion. It was like a function that drove other mm-hmm. more interesting plot threads or introduced me to other more interesting characters. What was the moment where you then, like, sure. fell in love? Because you do. You need to fall in love with the characters to feel that emotion they're having. 
and I never felt yeah. their love. I, did, I, I don't know if I ever would say I fell in love with the characters. I, I don't, ultimately, I don't have incredibly strong feelings about it. But um, the point at which I was convinced by it, and a point at which I understood the book, and a moment in which I felt like the characters were in sync with one another, and then after which I enjoyed the interactions with one another a lot more, is the most lambasted scene in the entire book. It's the meadow where it revealed that Edward sparkles. At that point in the book, we have the confluence of the main source of drama in the book, and we have the point at which the characters reached a point of no return. They can never go back from this point. They are now stuck together. And them getting stuck together... From that point on, I'm like, yeah, these two are now sort of bound to each other. They can never let each other go. I believe that these two, through this, through a variety of reasons, now matter a lot to each other. The reason why, Duncan, this scene stands out to me so much is that this is the, the entire book. It hinges on this point. Not just because the characters now stuck together. This... This is the first scene Stephanie Meyer wrote. Stephanie Meyer, yeah. And I know this because Stephanie Meyer, the, the book Twilight, came out of a dream. Stephanie Meyer uh, dreamt one night that she was in a field, a meadow, and there was a vampire there. And the vampire was in love with her, but he also Did wanted the vampire to kill sparkle her. in the dream? Now, we... I think I, I think he might have. I think he might have. I don't know if she maybe came up with that later, but I believe he I do, was in the light. So I'm going to cut across you because I do want to put this in. Now you've brought it into the scene. People mm-hmm. do lambast that kind of sparkle aspect. I do like it though in this book because I think it's a really nice way that it yeah, allows it's, it's... Um, Edward for the first time. And we mentioned it. Oh, he chuckles. He's always reserved. He's always got his guard up. This is the first time that I really mm-hmm. felt like he's letting his guard down. Exactly. He's showing her what he really is, which I have absolutely. To be obviously i'm not gonna lie, i would love it mm-hmm. if it was you know in the, in the right. sunlight he was revealed for some hideous form but i like the fact that maybe actually he didn't do that because actually say even though he's like this terrifying vampire he is still whatever beautiful on the inside or however you want to kind of phrase it mm-hmm. sure yeah exactly it's about him letting down it's exposing his skin it's literally like is a it's there's a reason why, like, his, his chest is bare in the scene. He's showing his heart. And that's why, you know, him being, uh, you know, exposing himself and being more vulnerable in the scene, that's why, from this point on, I'd like him a lot more as the hero of our story, our romantic hero. And, and now we have to cut to the deep analysis of this book. Uh, because, so... Stephanie Meyer is a graduate of, uh, is is a is a graduate of the same university as someone whom you're gonna make me read about, Duncan. She went to Brigham Young University, just like your favorite Brandon Sanders. I did not know that. Uh, Stephanie Meyer also is a woman. Know that. Does does the book make a little more sense uh, um, now that you know that? Sense is a strong word. Um, I can. S- so by that I mean there's a lot of Christianity in this book. You probably picked yes, up on that, right? No, I got that level. Uh, when you're saying about deep cuts, still just 
damn it, this is beyond my capacity. I am not good at analysing things. But yes, Christian symbolism and ideology, yes, in the text. Got it. Yeah. There's, you know, there's the, it opens with, like, the opening thing is about the, is about the, the forbidden fruit in Eden and, and Edward is frequently referred to as an angel uh, because he's, he's so beautiful and but he's an angel that can fall from grace if he gives into temptation he could be oh my god that's devil. why the app was on the cover oh sod it literally has been confusing me I've <laughs> about it i have not understood it i'm like why why i thought i thought there'd be a scene yeah it's the only cover that i think makes sense like um i know that um actually i don't remember which order but one of them is like a broken thread i think that's a, might be eclipse Eclipse doesn't have like an eclipse on the cover. I um, don't know. Maybe that's there's one with a, there's one with like a but, chest um, piece. I know that and much. Yes, that's the last one. That's Breaking Dawn. Um, and the reason and here's the thing, I've read that last book. The chess thing there is not symbolic. Um, you're never gonna read this, so I'm gonna t- say. So um, the beginning of uh, Breaking Dawn is um, Edward and Bella get married. Uh, that's like the opening of the book. And remember, as I told you, the entire book series takes place within 18 months. But Mormonism. it needs to, though, because um, as we've established so in this book, like, um, he doesn't ace, she is. So it's like, if they're, they're going to bind themselves together pretty quick, otherwise she'll get old and, mm-hmm. oh, gosh. They, that is literally a plot point. That is literally a plot point at the start of a book where Bella's like, we have to kind of hurry up because I want to be oh, 19 soon. And, um, and so they go, they get married, and then they go on a honeymoon. And on honeymoon, they play a lot of chess. And they play a lot of chess because Edward um, wants to keep Bella distracted so that she won't ask him to have sex with her because he's afraid his vampiric strength Sorry, will destroy um, her. Okay, I... That's why it's on the cover, because they play a lot I of chess that. on honeymoon. Can I ask a few questions about that? Just the, the logic here. Does, so they've already yeah. agreed when they got married that he's going to have to turn her at some point into a vampire. Yes, that is at the end of the third book, which I haven't read, but they refer to but it at the start of Breaking Dawn. why doesn't he just turn her Dawn. and they've then... Agreed. Um, so he doesn't have to worry about her dying. But that, that's his point. He says that in the book, and she's like, I want my first time to be as a living human being. I don't want my first okay, time to be as a vampire. Our priorities, I guess. Yep, yep. It's, 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 again, it's for Mormonism. It's like, it's, it's about it being like sacred and stuff. And also like the, her vampirism and her human, and her humanity. It's, it's a metaphor for like virginity. Like it's, well, it's not a metaphor for, but it's very much tied together. Like it's about hidden deep desires. Punching off that then. And I know we want to get back around to the medicine because I know you have more to say. But that's something else that I found very surprising about this book. You mentioned the fourth book, uh, them having sex as like a plot point, mm-hmm. a moment of conflict. This book mm. for uh, romance, maybe this also says a lot about the literature that I read, very little sex. And I don't mean sex in terms of the act, but in terms it's of... It's very chaste. It's extremely chaste. I honestly thought this would be far more lewd. So you thought this was going to be a steamy, steamy book. but... There's something... Oh, I don't want to use words. I really don't want to use words like sensual. But, like, there's a, a low level of, like, just passion 
sure, absolutely. And that's very, very much true. And, 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 and I think that's part of why this book was such a success, that because it is so sexless, it has this really broad market appeal. Like, you can be 40 and read this, and you can read into the desire to drink blood as a sort of metaphorical, you know, desire to do other things. Um, but when you're 14, you can push on to this book your desire to smooch and hold hands and stuff like that. And um, so you come so to just... it and you fill in the blanks. So was the word a lot of people say genuine in your lexicon growing up? I I chose it very deliberately as a as a ver- the most sexist <laughs> well, word I could think of, Duncan. What am I saying? Smooching, sexlessness, snogging. Yes, if the metaphor can be pecking. read at different levels for the age range reading the book. Exactly. Yep, and something that has emerged since then is the increased raunchification of YA literature. YA literature is a lot sexier now because because people have graduated from Twilight. Now they're like, okay, I want that, but I also want you to really deliver the goods this time. How about it? Sarah J. Mass, uh, Jennifer Armentrout. I don't know any of other these people. Authors, maybe but I definitely they're the ones feel, who know. And I don't know if this uh... literal fairy porn, Duncan. Fairy porn. That's we're talking. We're going to... Listen, I'm going to make you read the fairy Fine. porn and there's nothing Don't you stop I'll me. just pull into my uh, back catalogue of, to be honest, quite sexless work, actually. Violence. I'll find the violence. Um, but okay, well, I do like that point because that's something maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading into it, maybe I'm expanding it beyond the scope of, like, Twilight. But particularly now, I don't know if you're a mm-hmm. fan, uh, the historical drama genre, you know, it's gotten a lot sexier in recent years. To, I, can't, I can't keep saying this. I can't. It's genuinely making me oh blush as a stand up british man um <laughs> raunchy <laughs> bridgerton exists now and okay, these sorts great. of things are gaining more mainstream and if if someone told me yes and we can trace this back along sort of the pathways of literature and saying that twilight was a bit of a if not the originator obviously this, you know goes further back but an explosion into more mainstream of course and if someone's told me that i would believe them mm-hmm. not saying it's true but if something that's a fact, I would believe that fact, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about the impact of um, of Twilight, it's really interesting reading this book. I've mentioned the impact that Edward had on different dark, brooding, uh, intrinsically somehow bad and yet redeemable male romantic heroes is an incredibly potent and familiar trope in the world of YA fiction and we have Edward to thank for that so it was really interesting as a fan of those books to go back and see you know how much of those characters your your William Herondales is in this one guy and it was also interesting to see how this book transitions from romance into thriller. Now we're getting somewhere. You're right, Geordie. The later parts of this book, to be honest, my favourite section, because it was almost completely focused on the vampires, had a really nice mm-hmm. uh, thriller element. <clears throat> Do you want to explain to the people yeah, absolutely. Uh, exactly what goes down? Yeah, so I at a certain point, we, Duncan and I had the lightest of check-ins last week. And you were almost exactly at the halfway point. And 
you didn't tell me about your like proper opinions, but you were pretty clear that you weren't enjoying yourself. And I urged you to get past a halfway point, and I said you will enjoy yourself a lot more. Because the book gets a lot more exciting. When, once the rules of vampires has been set up, once you know how strong they are, how fast they are, um, the, this, the tension is at its highest it point. It works. Bella is surrounded by vampires who are friendly to her. And then for the first time, she meets vampires It works who are on several enemy. levels here. Not only the fact that we're transitioning away from the more mundane plot line of the high school and the setting. Those characters really kind of disappear at this point. But I, re- I really certainly like do. it because this has been set up so nicely with Edward being... Listen, I'm resisting these urges. I'm resisting them because I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm resisting them. And then you have that moment. They come together. They're in love. They're a couple. And now there are finally, you mm-hmm. get to see almost like what Edward would be like if he wasn't trying to be nice or he wasn't holding back. If Bedla- if Edward on that first exactly. day at school had just decided, oh, this person smells nice. I'm going to kill them later. Exactly. If he couldn't, if he couldn't resist. Uh, and that's, and here's the thing. They are completely right, and you can read into that, and it's, and if you do, if you choose to read into it that way, you drastically improve your experience of this book, and that's how I chose to read into it. However, I think Stephanie Meyer doesn't quite go far enough to really bring that home, because Edward has described that, you know, like, that vampires, like, they, they, you know, they, they have incredibly powerful senses and the smell of their victim is alluring to them. And Bella is like the best smelling person that Edward has ever experienced. He's incredibly attuned to her. And he says that um, it's one of his brothers. Who is it? Has well, given into his... No, not Jasper. Eh? It's um, Emmett. Emmett has said that he's run into two people in the past whom he had this immediate like sensory connection with and he killed both of them like he couldn't control himself he fell off the wagon and they died and so so and that cranks up the tension for and that's a powerful moment because this is a character whom we already kind of like and are going to like more as a friendly character an ally to bella and he's like lost control and killed two people and now that you have the tension of that's what edward is fighting something which can completely undo him and make him lose control when they talk about this vampire who they meet after a great scene the vampires playing baseball fun fun goofy i enjoy that scene a lot it's first time i've heard you know it's not taking her vampires too seriously and i think that's good i think that's healthy Mm -hmm. to keep the sort of world building here on a lighter tone because then i think it helps um excuse it from too close critique if you have a goofy scene like this you can go okay weird things sort of happen i'm not going to break down the minutia of this like vampire world too much because clearly the author isn't taking it that seriously did you agree actually maybe i said something controversial he went very quiet yeah, I don't think it's like I wouldn't quite go along. I was lo- I was looking at some notes. Um, I wouldn't quite go along the whole not taking it seriously route. I would say it's more she has taken a very strong stance in one direction and has committed to that, and that is deliberately making them play baseball 
um, is a way of saying these aren't weirdo goths. These are regular folks, essentially. It's a strong choice um, in one particular direction. And I think it achieves its goal. So, um, so yeah, I think, um, I think it is a strong choice. But at the end of that game, when these new vampires show up and this hunter, James, encounters Bella, Edward, in the aftermath of, after they're, like, running away from him, Bella asks, like, is he, like, attracted to me the same way you are? And he says, I don't think it's quite the same. That's just shooting yourself in the foot. Bella, and I, I shouldn't use the word should, but I will. Bella should have said, why is he after me? Why, why can't he control himself? Edward should have said, the way I feel about you, the way you smell to me, you smell the same way to him. Because now we have a literal dark mirror of Edward, a vampire who cannot control his urge to hunt and pursue Bella. When Edward has to confront him, he'll be confronting his Jungian shadow self, his worst impulses. When he overcomes that vampire, it will be in the same scene that he overcomes his urge to drink Bella's blood. And that is a serious missed opportunity. Now that's interesting, because I hear what you're saying, and I hear what you're saying about it being a missed opportunity. And I think I would have very much liked to have read that. Yeah, I took something different away from this. Mm -hmm. Because I read into this... That okay. when we're talking about James, this is okay. the dark Edward, we'll call him. Um, they talk about sure. the urges and we talk about how Emmett gave into his urges um, and killed those two people. We talk about how Edward was like, when he first found he wanted to rip into her throat there in that moment. When we look at James, mm -hmm. we say, oh, it's his urge. He can't resist himself. But then we actually get to the uh, scene where he has Bella. He uh, convinces her to come to this dance studio what we actually get is a bit of cat and mouse. Mm -hmm. And I saw this differently. I saw this as they talk about a lot, big game about um, the urge and the instinct. But really, this is just a, a twisted person who's enjoying the hunt. It's not just, this isn't, you know, this mm. isn't nature. This isn't the lion hunting down the gazelle. This is an, an intelligent person sure. who's deriving more pleasure by making Bella feel more anguish and making Edward, by extension, feel anguish than is necessary than just, I yeah. want to eat them to sustain myself. Right. So you're, you're thinking there's more like a, a Hannibal Lecter character as opposed to like a literal monster, like a velociraptor from Jurassic Park. It can't control itself. It's just an attack yes. mode. Um He's That's this how I took it, and I felt that played off. Then that was Stephanie Meyer trying to play off the Cullens by trying to saying that you know this isn't about mm. the instinct. Those that can resist the instinct resist it because they are good people, and those that give in, it's not because they are weak. It's because they have an element of enjoying. At least in James, he enjoys the hunt. You know what? Yeah, you, that's that is that's actually a really compelling argument, Duncan. And yeah, I think that's a really good point. It speaks, and that it works as a, that works well for the Cullens as a whole because it makes their resistance and their ability to resist more heroic. I know. Yeah, it's, I like this that. This is great. I'll, I'll give Stephanie Meyer some credit, but mostly me. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You've, you, I'm glad to see you're on Team Meyer. You're in her corner. Again, people, I can only talk to this first book. 
um, and what's presented here. Oh, talking about this first mm-hmm. book. Sorry, George, if I'm going down a tangent you don't want to touch. But I referenced this earlier. Team Edward, Team Jacob. This first book, there is no Jacob. Um, yeah, Jacob's in like four scenes. Um, uh, I, I remember being surprised by this when I was 14. Like, wow, I really expected to be more of him in this book. And I didn't really understand this at all until exactly yesterday. Um, I, I went on, on a date yesterday. Um, don't ask me how it went. And um, and she's basically told me how, like, she was very strongly on Teen Jacob because he's so well written in the next book. And then his character is ruined in the third. And uh, so it seems to me that there is... I can see why Verity's big fandom fights about it because apparently he puts on a good showing in the next one where Edward is not in the book. Edward is gone after like the first couple of chapters. He's gone for 70% of the book. So it gives someone else a chance to move in. And the reason why I can see the appeal behind Jacob is that Jacob is the nice guy. Like Jacob is, and in both senses of a word, the positive the, and the negative. Oh, that's interesting to hear. Again, not be able to speak on the next book. Because in this book, it's not that he's a non-character. It's that he's barely more of a character than any of the other fake love interests. Uh, I don't know their names. The Mike, the Eric, the Taylors. Mm, that yeah. them wrote that down. Um, he's no more... That was really impressive. Welcome. Yeah. I can't believe you, you brought out Mike and Eric. I literally forgot Because it's good, though, because I like the fact that at the... So it's just another tangent at the dance at the end you see that they've paired off with the other boring humans and like their little world actually continued mm-hmm. like besides Bella's great adventure I actually I don't know I kind of like that that kind of like that normality if Bella hadn't fallen in love with Edward or Edward hadn't liked her smell um, which is a really interesting oh, God, I keep mm. going on tangents of a talk but that's another really interesting point do you think Geordie if Edward didn't like the smell of Bella, weird old sentence, that they would have gotten together. Um, I think that's a good question. And that's that's a sort of a, a, a ripe territory for fan fiction. Because the thing that immediately makes Bella very central to Edward's world is that she is immediately alluring to him, that he can't resist her. Well, he can, but she's she is tempting to him. Um, but there is the other characteristic, which is that Bella is the only person whose mind Edward can't read. And that, it's a good choice for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, vampires from, in a lot of mythologies and in the popular consciousness of vampires, you know, hypnotism is a really important part. Dracula in particular, his main power is mind control. So the fact that Bella is immune to Edward's telepathy, um, to me, is a very important choice by Stephen Meyer for a lot of reasons. One... It makes the story less creepy. He doesn't. He isn't basically reading her mind all the time. That would be very unsettling. It'd be like if someone was constantly reading your emails. Um, it also means that she is an enigma to him. He has to talk to her to find out, you know, what's going on with her, and um, and that means that 
there is an immediate level of interest for Edward. She holds a new level of significance to him. He can't infer everything from her from a glance. Which means that he has to talk to her to get to know her. For that reason, I think, yes, they could have gone together. And I think their relationship would have been really different. It would have been a slower burn. There wouldn't have been that immediate connection. It might even have been a, a story which I might have been a little bit more interested in reading. That slow burn, getting to know each other over a longer period of time. But yeah, I'm, I'm just writing fan fiction at this point. In both how the story would then evolve and how I personally feel I'd be more interested in that story. Because I do feel that having that mm-hmm. instant romantic connection with the, the smell, I say romantic, that instant attraction with the smell, it both works in the mm-hmm. sense that it can form that kind of wish fulfillment fantasy. This person is just attractive to you, attracted to you. But it also then yep. hamstrings mm-hmm. the romantic interest. If that person doesn't have as much choice not to be attracted to you, they are just attracted to each other. And mm-hmm. I worry. Yeah, what if what if Edward broke his nose and oh. then like he couldn't smell anymore? <laughs> what if he got COVID? I worry then that that element then undermined their romantic connection, at least to begin with. You know, it then makes then the romantic and the genuine emotional connection take longer or made it more difficult to then come through in the story. To the point of which, at the end of the book, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. I didn't feel it really did come through that or that much. I disagree. I, I was compelled after the scene, as I've said, in the meadow when they, he lets down his guard at last. To me, that is the point where I'm like, I'm now compelled by them being in a romance. Um, to, to like him, like being sneaking up into her room and spending time with her there. After that, I'm like, aside from some stuff, which I'm, we're going to talk about in five seconds, I found a lot of that stuff really sweet. What I didn't find sweet, dot, dot, dot. Oh, I'm glad you Duncan. didn't find anything sweet. So I talked at the start yeah. about this being a evening to a muff, this book, and the ups and the downs. And when yeah. I spoke to Geordie early in the week, we had a small catch, small catch up, guys. Don't worry, you're not missing much. We barely talk no, outside no, this no. podcast. Um, I said, and we try not to even tell each other our opinions as much as possible. We try and see it for the podcast. I kept saying how... I kept on getting these moments where I was really actually getting into this book. I was surprising myself asking, oh my God, I actually, I actually like Twilight. I actually like it. And then mm-hmm. Stephanie Myers will do a thing and I will get so knocked out and I can't say for certain if it's my 2022 sensibilities or mm-hmm. if it's the way it's been presented or the way the original audience. But basically, Edward will do a really outright dickish thing he'll be controlling he'll force Bella against her will into a car and you're just like oh could we not could you just rewrite mm. that slightly you know and it's not yeah. breaking and the characters don't react like it's as bad as it seems but it's mm-hmm. just that bit where it just set off a red flag and then the fact that the yep. story didn't recognise it as a red flag then mm-hmm. made me just go from oh that's alarming to oh that makes me feel a little bit sick a little bit off in the time yeah yeah the, the, the thing, I was, and I'm having, I have a complicated relationship with this because my perspective on Twilight was fundamentally changed in between these readings by one thing that someone said. Changed my complete opinion on the story. And 
the one thing I can't get past is Edward literally stalking Bella. Like, it's so... that It's just creepy. Like, it's... And there's no justification for it. And it could be a really good justification if Stephanie Meyer was to have Edward say, hey, I heard there were these evil vampires in Seattle or whatever town Bella went to. So when I realized that and I found out you were going there, I went straight over there immediately because I knew you could have been in trouble. And if, you know... And therefore, it's still a dickish thing to do, potentially. But if you make it so that it's justified, as a reader, I can say, okay, it was justified. But Edward's just in a constant state of paranoia. Not good. I just don't like it. It's not romantic to me. And it's, it's just that creepy. element of... Um, and he, he does try and face it. Like, oh, well, I just know you. I know you, you would have found trouble. So I came to watch... I don't like that. It's so demeaning. Um, it It's so... Saying, like you always find trouble. It feels like victim blaming. It seems like this is your Can fault Can I somehow. say though, how I try to puzzle this out in my own mind. And this isn't about, you can say out. it. And then I'm going to tell okay. you that exact thing. This isn't about me working out in text. This is how I started to look at this as I was reading. Yeah. I went, this is problematic. Mm-hmm. This is making my stomach feel a bit off. But then bit of my brain went, Duncan, you like fantasy. You like your epic fantasies. You like your sword and sorceries. Have you mm-hmm. honestly yeah. say that you've not seen behaviour, often from the male perspective, that mm-hmm. was off in a fantasy text? And I go, yeah, I've, I've read the works of Robert E. Howard and the works of, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, all of them. Robert Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they've yeah. all done something at some point, which you're like, oh, that's a bit off, or oh, that wasn't very well done. Um and why exactly. did that yeah. not make you feel a bit sick? And I honestly think the factor is, it's the setting. And I was like, because that was in more fantasy, I kind of, I was letting my rules go. I'm like, well, yeah, I know that not to take that literally. I'm not going to start treating the people mm-hmm. in my life the way, we always mention Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian treats people. It's just for the fun of it. And then I just went, well, do you know what? Maybe the audience, you know, I'm being demeaning to the audience by assuming that anyone reading mm-hmm. this could ever interpret it any other way than as a little red flag. So maybe exactly. I'm meant to just throw it yeah. in there. Maybe I am being like, because it's set in modern day, I'll go, oh my God, people are going to read this and see this and oh my God, that's wrong. But like, if it's set in medieval land, then Empire of the Vampire style, it probably wouldn't have raised anywhere near the number of red flags. If Duncan, we've never read a book called Empire of the Vampire. The Why are you bringing it up? Uh, yes, there's something, there's something very... Never mention that book again, Duncan. Never again. There's something very compelling. And you're right. It's, that's, that is a whole point of fantasy. Fantasy takes us to dark places, places we wouldn't want to go ourselves in real life. That's why our characters are able to kill people and not feel bad about it. In real life, you're a psycho. If you're in a book, you're Luke Skywalker. It's fine. We, it's permissible. And, we, and the fact that we don't give books like Twilight that fair shake... I think is part of a way people come down on this book uh, incredibly harshly. Whether that's because it's set in the modern day and therefore it feels more real as opposed to something set in the ancient past, maybe that's something we'll revisit when we look at other books written in the modern day, also set in the past. Whether it's just something we accept from male fantasy writers but we don't accept from female writers, let's find out in good time. But here's the thing that changed my perspective on the book entirely. When I had completely bought into the anti-Twilight hype, 
the thing which changed my perspective on this book completely. And you know what? It's a, it's a quote, and I don't really remember who gave me this quote. I, I, I feel, I think it was June Diane Raphael on an episode of How Did This Get Made? But I might be wrong about that. I might have just gone really confused. But my memory of this is this. She described why characters like Edward Cullen are appealing. And the reason is, all women are, to some degree, scared of all men. Mo all women know that most men can be strong enough to overpower them. In that way, all men are in some way monsters. So if you have a monster who's stronger than all the other monsters and is on your side, that's someone who's there to protect you. That's someone who makes you feel safe. So Edward can be this domineering alpha male hero in his own way, you know, a wild animal in some regards, because him being domineering and him using his masculinity as a bludgeon is in its own way, it's it fulfills a fantasy. just said, and I hope I'm not undermining you by saying this, and not taking that as like a life philosophy, but looking using it as a lens to then view the text. Yeah, it's a fantasy. Mm. And it really struck me when I spoke to... It's fantasy. Um, ...my partner about Twilight. And she was... And this is the time. Even when we did Star Wars, she was like, is that fantasy? I'm like, they're vampires. She's like, yeah, but... Not how, how she would ever see fantasy. Because it's selling a different fantasy than traditional ever did. And that's what makes it stand apart. And probably what led to its success. It was doing something... I keep saying new. Someone's bound to throw something up from the 90s, but like, excuse mm. me. Did you not know? Yeah, and nothing... It's not new, but it was... It, it made a big splash. The Vampire Diaries came out a long time before Twilight. But Twilight... If you look at the Vampire Diaries TV show, it takes a lot more inspiration from Twilight than it does the Vampire Diary books. Maybe these aren't new ideas, but it was new to the millions and millions of people. Who I'm actually struggling books. to say any more of that part. I think that's, that's a nice kind of conclusion to Twilight. It it really was for me. Yeah, you know, Duncan, I feel like we really have sort of nailed a lot of what I wanted to talk about, which is that the romance, like, it's a bit up and down for me, but I actually end up enjoying this book at the end. The second half of the book is a lot better than the first half. The romance is more compelling. The vampire characters are a lot more interesting than the human characters. And the thriller bit at the end is actually really exciting. And, didn't mention this, uh, the thing with, like, the videotape and, um, and, like, playing a line of her mother going, Bella, it's Bella, really sounding way. scared. Way, actually, uh, I think it's really smart. I think that's Alice a really good bit of writing. See the future. Again, really like that appreciated it it created tension i sort of knew that bella was going to fall into this situation but yeah. i liked the fact that she was mm -hmm. kind of trying to outweigh or go out on her own and i liked her conviction okay haven't we brought this up but i will say apart a point against this book oh yes but good bella has very little regard for her own uh self-preservation 
And I'm not saying it's necessarily a problem. It's just something that I found very jarring because I wasn't used to that in a protagonist. You're going to have to get used Ooh. to that, buddy. We're going to, I'm going to take you places where no one is in regard for their safety. But no, you're right. I don't think anyone has less and regard for their safety. it's not even in like a self-sack, I will save everyone else. It's like, because she tries to spin it that way. But it's just it like, someone. these people are the superheroes. Just let the superheroes do their thing. Because I think there's a bit of a problem where if Bella just stayed with the, with the Cullens, moved into their house, she is too untouchable. She needs to do some things a bit out there to allow more drama to mm. happen and i'm fine with that because i feel that bella is enough uh she's only 17 she's still a maturing person that i can allow her to make these what i would view as mistakes mm. to endanger yourself to drive plot and that's fine yeah well um i thought you were gonna bring up that alice is of a shortening of a wave a quizat haderach the the ending of of a thousand years oh, of genetic lineage is way too good. And I know they try and say, oh, what she doesn't always see, what she doesn't focus on. Like, from just this first book, I'm like, no, she seems pretty bang on a lot of the time. Yeah. No, I like that um, it, it sort of has this nice quantum mechanic to it, which is that when Alice foresees something happening, if she tells you about it, she increases the likelihood that her vision will change. And therefore, like, like Bella knowing this bit of the future causes her to change the future. And I like that as a model of, like, f of divination and destiny and stuff like that. That's one of my preferred models. So I was very happy to see it show up in this um oh, in I this also book. like the fact that we get the prologue to this book is that ending scene. Um, I don't know, mm -hmm. at the base of this book, we get a little excerpt with Bella being smashed against the glass and seeing the Predator approach her. Um, called the Predator, I don't know if it's meant to give us the illusion that it might be, like, Edward or one of the Cullens, um... I, exactly. I just know through the zeitgeist. Yeah, it's exactly supposed to be... Through the zeitgeist, yeah. supposed to be spoiled. like... Like, I knew mm -hmm. that wasn't the ending. Um, but still, it's nice. Because you know there's a bunch of secrets. Yeah, exactly. I know she doesn't die in this. Right, there's one other thing I really want to say. And that is, off the back of reading okay. this, I did rewatch a small portion of the film. I think the film does not do oh, uh, the book justice. And I think it definitely did not help in how this... Uh, work is received and the whoever gave but the thing is i've seen all these actors and other things and they go on to you know act well mm -hmm. the director was not helpful like whatever happened these characters are more wow. dull in that film duncan if you ever bring up a film on my book podcast again i swear to god Oh God, he has that power. Never mind. You can do whatever Thank you want, you. Duncan. Please don't make me read another novelization. Uh, but yeah, let's wrap. Let's up. wrap it up. I did not this book. I had so much psycho, so much, and if anything, this actual text was almost disappointing to the shadow of it all. But although I may not have loved this book, I did love the fact that it got me really analysing how a book is written for a certain audience and really like swapping out. Mm -hmm. I keep talking about, you know, sort of these lenses to view books through. And in this one, I felt like I was in the opticians, like swapping out the different lenses to show like, is it good if I wear this one? Do I enjoy <laughs> it more like this? If I take it more as like straight comedy and parody? No, no. How about through the lens of like a, you know, more of a teen? How, how does this work? And that, that was fun mm. in its own way. I think the real yeah. interesting question here though, Geordie, is who we would recommend this book to? Because I thought about it and i've um, got an answer i don't think i can recommend this book 
because I feel like the people I'd recommend it to have already read Twilight. I think people who have already read Twilight is everyone who knows they're going to enjoy it. If you think you'll enjoy Twilight, you probably will, and you've probably already read it. I don't think I could... There's anyone I could possibly yeah, recommend I this the book to. Way. I would not recommend Twilight okay. to... Uh, I I wouldn't bother... No, let me face that. Like you, I wouldn't bother recommending Twilight to its target audience. Because someone who was going to read it exactly. then probably read it. And someone now... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would hope that maybe the genre has moved on a little bit. And maybe there are more current things that maybe that should be your time. I would only recommend Twilight... We're reading about fairies now, Duncan. It's all about the fairy. Well, that is actually quite fun. I would recommend Twilight to the person most far removed. The person who has read Wheel of Time, Mazalan, Lord of the Rings, Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> Mark Lawrence, uh, Joe Abercrombie, uh, N.K. Denison, uh, like all these great authors. If you've read all this, the wonders of like epic heroic fantasy, definitely, definitely read Twilight. You may not enjoy it. In fact, you probably won't. But it will allow you to kind of analyse what your current books are doing to appeal to you and how something else is doing different things to appeal to different people. And I think that will definitely make you a bit more conscious about how literature is being written. So, Duncan, what are we going to read next week? I'm very excited for this, people. So, the book I'm picking next, Geordie, is a book that I haven't read before, by an author I've read nothing from before. This book... Went well last time. Okay, Honestly, cool. Mass with a stab in the dark. Hopefully, this one will go better. But this book, I am picking. In many respects, this is actually the first request. Because, Geordie, um, it's we're coming into summertime, and we're a long way out from Christmas. And at Christmas, my partner okay. bought me a book, and I get a lot of books at Christmas. I think I had about sixteen. And she knows I don't always get around here. It takes me a while to get through the year. Most books I get at Christmas, I only finish them all by the time I get to next Christmas. That's fine. But when my partner saw me reading Twilight, as she referred to it, Twilight, um, she was like, how could you read that over that lovely book I got you? That one I recommended to you. I'm like, I'm so sorry, dear. I'll read your book next. So... So she bought you this yes, book. Yes, she did. And then I went, so was this like a favourite of your childhood? And she just went, oh no, I've never read this book. I just like the cover. <laughs> the name <laughs> of this book is The Green Rider. And came out in 1998. Apparently it's one of seven book series. Um, I'm just excited to try something new. Because you know what, Geordie? Until I unwrapped my present on Christmas Day and had to, you know, go, oh, thank you. What's this? <laughs> I heard of it either. So that's what we're getting into in a fortnight time, people. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of the Green Rider and have opinions, please do write them into us at is this just fantasy podcast at gmail.com. And please, to mm-hmm. all the people that have read Twilight throughout the years, I really am asking the people who have read Twilight throughout the years, please write in and tell us what this book meant to you. I want to know what it was like when you first read it. And if you've ever reread mm-hmm. it, I want to know what it's like now. Has it changed? You know, how did the culture affect your enjoyment of it? Have you reassessed? Tell me all about that. Were you Edward? Were you Jacob? Although I can't understand how anyone's Jacob of the first book. It must come in the sequels. Please write in at is this just fantasy podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear everything from you. And we'll be reading out the more interesting responses in future episodes. 
before we close out the show, I have some some big news in regards to World of Fantasy and something we're going to have to focus on in the future of this podcast. Uh, it feels like a bit of a broken record at this point, but um, there's a very important series to me, which is um, a series called Berserk. Uh, it's a fantastic Japanese manga. It's one of the best works of fantasy I've ever read. I would call it up there with my favorites alongside Strange of Dreamer. Uh, last year in May... Kentaro Mira, the creator of Berserk, passed away very suddenly, and very surprisingly. It was an incredibly emotional moment for fans of fantasy and manga, and myself in particular. And in the year that has followed, uh, there have been many times I've been deeply overcome with emotion over the passing of Kentaro Mira. It's been very hard to grapple with, to see um, a series cut down you know, as it was reaching towards what could have been its final arc, a book, a series, 30 years in the making, that would never see its conclusion. And there were lots of questions around whether it would be Brandon Sanderson, whether someone else would step up to finish off a series. And as of yesterday, we have finally received word from the creators of Berserk. Kentaro Miura's best friend... And whom he's known since he was a teenager. They went to high school together. And who is a successful manga writer himself. Uh, Mori Koji is stepping up to continue on the story of Berserk. He knows how it ends. Um, he's going to be working with the rest of the team to continue Berserk. The, the, the message from the studio, it was very emotional for me to read. And the respectful manner in which... They decided to continue the series of Berserk in honor of Kentaro Miura is um is really profound. So we will discuss Berserk on this podcast, I... and it may be colored by my by my, my my perspective on how the series has changed under Morikoji. I'm a great fan of his work: Holy Land, Suicide Island, Tiger of Genesis. I think he's a very skilled writer. And uh, I wish him the best of luck. Thank you, This has been Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Duncan Nickel. And I'm your host, Jordy Bailey. Bye-bye.